It's a real privilege to be with you uh, this Sunday. If you don't know, uh, my name's Ian Clements. I'm the pastor of a congregational church uh, in Beverly, but really at, at heart of my conviction, I'm a Presbyterian, so feeling very much uh, at home. Uh, I uh, met Stephen 15, 16 years ago, I think, when he was kind of first uh, had come to, to Solihull. I was an assistant minister in London, uh, and uh, he used to kind of come down to, to London occasionally for a, a kind of minister's meeting. So it's, it's great kind of 15, 16 years on to be here and uh, preaching. So thank you for your welcome. Um, I would normally uh, take one passage uh, of scripture and preach through it. That's my normal practice, preaching through books of the Bible. But what I'm going to do this, do this morning is, is take three kind of small parts of, uh, of scripture uh, and Basically, we're going to see what they have in common. They all have one phrase in common, and I'm going to draw that out. I was really struck by it a while ago. So uh, I'm going to read two of those passages now, and we'll read the third passage uh, as, I, as I preach. So if you want to turn to Psalm 27, uh, I'll read Psalm 27, and then I'll read Philippians chapter 3. So Psalm 27, obviously we we have sung part of this just now, but from the start, it's a psalm of David, we're told. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me, In his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all round me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I'm just going to move forward to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 16. I'm 
the Apostle Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have counted the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I think it's very easy in life to lose focus, to get discouraged, to feel like everything is piling on top of us. You see surveys of people who are, would say that they are experiencing stress or burnout, and the results of those surveys are, are pretty horrific. Certainly, I think we can perhaps all recognize that in our own life. Certainly, I've felt that, and and perhaps I think it's the cumulative effect of all that's happened uh, over the last four or five years with with pandemics and different uh, ways of working and stress about work and all sorts of things. It's also, I guess, the cumulative effect of kind of life coming at us. We've got all, all sorts of pressures, all sorts of responsibilities in our life. On top of that, you've got the 24-hour news cycle, uh, which you can so easy, and I find it so easy to get kind of almost addicted to, and then you take on the cares and the worries of the world. Uh, and the thing about the 24-hour news cycle is that, is that TV channels, they, they just like pressing how, how important and how, and how difficult situations are to, to keep you watching. And that kind of can lead you into a spiral of, uh, of, of stress and discouragement. It can kind of impact on, on us as our relationship with the Lord uh, as well. We can be busy. We can be uh, uh, kind of rightly kind of uh, feeling like we need to be doing kind of all sorts of things, all sorts of responsibilities, whether it's church responsibilities or, or other responsibilities. And sometimes we, we can be going, doing those things, those right things and those good things, but realise that, well, actually, the, the joy has disappeared. The love has di- disappeared. It becomes another burden. What I want to call us to do is what I believe the Lord calls us to do in his word this morning, which is to get back to the main thing. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him as your saviour and Lord this morning, I'm just going to call you really to, hopefully nothing I say is going to be anything remotely new this morning. But I, uh, when I was going through a particularly difficult time last summer, uh, someone pointed out to me these three 
verses which all have something in common. And when I went away and kind of studied the passages for myself, I found them both very liberating, very refreshing, very encouraging. So I want to share that with you from the Lord God's Word this morning. Because getting back to the main thing is something that I think everyone has to do at different points in their life. And in all walks of life, if you're going to be successful, you need to get back to the main thing, the important thing, the one thing. I don't know if you ever watch them, I rarely watch them, but, but sometimes there are, there are TV programs, aren't they, where you see have a famous chef who goes round and visits some failing restaurants. And on the, the occasional program that I have uh, uh, seen that, uh, what has happened is he's got in and he's seen that these failing restaurants, what's going on in those failing restaurants? Well, they've got massive menus. Menus where they seem to be, be willing to be able to cook and, and claiming that they can cook all sorts of different things. And so the first thing this celebrity chef does is he sits down with the, the owner of the restaurant and says, no, strip away the menu. Focus on one or two or three dishes that you can do really well. Get back to the one thing. What, what is your focus? The uh, preacher... Uh, theologian Sinclair Ferguson likes to tell the illustration of um, Jack Nicklaus, uh, the golfer, who apparently every year would go back to the man, now a very old man, who, would, who taught him to play golf as a teenager and say to him, teach me how to play golf. You might say, well, why would Jack Nicklaus, kind of renowned golfer, want to do that every year? No, he wants to get back to the bare essentials. He wants to get back to the main thing, the essential thing, so that his, his focus is on, on all sorts of things and he, he hasn't picked up all sorts of bad habits. What, is our, what should be our main thing? What should be our one focus? Well, it's unsurprising that the Bible actually speaks with a very clear voice on this. There are these three verses. There may well be more verses in Scripture which talk about one thing, and please do point them out to me after. But these three, is it striking? When you look at them, well, they're actually saying very similar things, but from slightly different perspectives. So let's see that now. Firstly, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing in a time of suffering. One thing... In a time of suffering. So, verse 4 of Psalm 27, just to remind us, uh, David says, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This one thing that David is crying out, crying out to the Lord for is actually in the midst of a time of great crisis and in the time of great suffering. That might be an encouragement to you this morning. I don't know really anything about hardly any of you here, but I know in a, 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 a room this size, some of us may be going through some pretty horrendous things, perhaps some things that you can't even bring yourself to speak to the person next to you uh, about well, we need to recognise that this psalm is written in the midst of a crisis. We don't know exactly the situation that David is going through as he writes this psalm. Some of the psalms, we know exactly the situation because we're told that at the very top of the psalm in capital letters. We're not told anything about that in, in Psalm 27, but we do know he is facing a kind of attack and persecution 
Perhaps it is written in that period of David's life when he is the anointed king, but isn't yet the fully recognised king, that the rejected king Saul is still on the throne and, and chasing him and persecuting him. It's likely that's the situation, but we don't know that. We know that the, the, the suffering he's facing is serious and it is deadly. So if you just look at the language that David uses about those who are against him, it's pretty vivid, isn't it? It may be poetic, but it's clearly poetic for a reason. It's clearly pointing to something that's very real. Look at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. That's grim, isn't it? That's serious. That These people are after his life. There's lots of them. There's him against a whole army. You see that in verse 3. There are adversaries in verse 12. There's a war he's facing in verse 3. This, this is a time of great suffering. This is a time of great crisis. Now, that may not be our struggle, but we know trouble. We know difficulties. Perhaps we know difficulties specifically For the fact that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you're in a workplace where day by day you you feel kind of out of place and you begin to feel a little bit under attack, perhaps not physically, but perhaps unwelcome because of some of the things you hold to and some of the things you believe to be and know to be true. Perhaps it's also just simply because of life. You only have to live long enough, don't you, to suffer. And to struggle, we know the the pressure and the the suffering that comes from life due to illness, or perhaps sometimes worse, the the, the illness and the struggles of those close to us. We, We live in a fallen world, and so we face these struggles, and we face this suffering and this pain. Certainly, as I said in the introduction, the medium wants us to live in a state of permanent panic and crisis. So if we are going through that kind of situation, or when we go through that kind of situation, what then would we, or what should we, ask of the Lord? What would we, what should we pray to the Lord for? One of the things that suffering does is that it reveals our priorities like nothing else in our life. When you're going through that deep suffering, it reveals to you then perhaps to others actually what you what you really believe to be important so look at verse 4 what what does David want well it's so striking is it in the language you think David he'd he'd pray that that these armies would go away he'd pray that he'd be vindicated but actually he doesn't he prays and I suppose you could put it like this he prays that he will have his relationship with the Lord grow deeper and richer that he would have his relationship with the Lord grow deeper and richer it's kind of so strikingly written isn't it he says he's asked the Lord one thing but then he goes on to list three things but actually what he's doing is he's he's stating the one thing in, in three different ways that kind of build on each other isn't he he prays that he may dwell In the house of the Lord. Now that's actually quite a radical thing for David to ask. What's he saying? He's saying, 
I want to, I want to live where you are, God. I want to live in the, well, the temple hasn't been built yet, in the tabernacle. I want to be there, living with you, as close to you as I can possibly be. It's a, it's a kind of, it's an image of security and permanence. If you're, if you're, when you live with someone, you live with your husband or your wife or, or your children, they're, they're, just, they're just always there. I've been married to, to Rachel for, um, God, she's kind of out of the room, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, tw- tw- 12, 12 years uh, now, and, and it's just, it's striking, isn't it? You get married to someone, they're just always there. It's, it's wonderful, it's the joy of marriage, to dwell, to live with the Lord. It's that, that picture of security and permanence. And then that's built on, isn't it? In the second thing, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. David wants to, to have who the Lord is, to just fill his vision. To, to see the Lord and no one or nothing else. Yes, there may be enemies around him, and he may be in a horrendous situation, but to have that focus on the Lord. Have you ever been somewhere where the kind of uh, the, the, the landscape has just, has just blown you away? I've actually been to some of the places in, in, um, in Britain, some of the, the beautiful countryside, and you've just had to take a breath at what you are looking at. As you've been abroad, you've been to the Grand Canyon or somewhere like that, and you've just had to think, wow, wow, this, this is amazing. As far as the eye can see, you've just seen the beauty of, 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 of God's creation. That's effectively what David is saying. I want to, I want to see you, Lord, you, your character, all that you are. I guess it's a bit like kind of what happens when you, first, when you fall in love. You just want to be with that person. What you gaze on and say it's their beauty, but yeah, yes, the physical attractiveness, but also who they are. You just want to be with them. You just want to be in their presence all the time. And it's, it's as if kind of time seems to stop. And then that's built on with the third kind of point, which, which is saying similar thing but in a greater way. To inquire in his temple. He wants to be able to speak with him. He wants to be able to talk to him as a, as a man would talk to a man. It's, it's actually a very bold prayer. It's almost as if David is saying, I want to live in the Holy of Holies. I want to be there all the time. I want to speak to you. I want to know you in depth. You might say that that's not quite what we would expect given all that David is going through. But David knows that is precisely what he needs in the midst of those difficulties. Because you see, if he has that, then what will happen? Well, it's not that those difficulties are immediately perhaps going to go away. But if you see verse 5, the Lord will protect him through the difficulties. It's the Lord who hides him in his shelter on the day of the trouble. The day of trouble may come. But the Lord will hide him and protect him. And that's what we most need. The Lord does not promise 
that our difficulties will go away. It's, it's striking that, I didn't plan it, but that chronological Bible reading from, from 2 Timothy, where, P, where the Apostle Paul talks about being an apostle and a, and a, and a preacher, and one who's holding on to the gospel, that that's why he is suffering. Suffering will come. Well, suffering will come for any Christian who seeks to, to live a, a, a godly life. Suffering will come because we are living in a fallen world. And yet, and yet, the thing we most need is... is to know the Lord and to have that rich and deep relationship with him. And he doesn't promise to, to take away the sufferings, but to, but, but to, to be, be our refuge in them. David's basis for this prayer actually is the covenant. So he asks this of the Lord, Lord in capital letters, that the covenant name for the Lord, that the Lord has committed himself to David as, as part of his people. And the most wonderful thing for us is, is, is that this prayer is, is, is a prayer that in a sense is answered for us if we, are, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has, has come and, and dwelt with us. We, we, we can know him. and we can, we, So we cry out that we may know him more. He is the one who, who hides us. And ultimately, the, the great, greatest day of trouble, the, the day of judgment that comes on for sin, when we are hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can face whatever sufferings and difficulties we face in this life. And that's not to minimize them. They are painful. They are agonizing. They cause us to cry and weep and wail. And yet, what do we most need? We need. We need the Lord. So is that your prayer? Is that your prayer in your life right now? Is that your prayer for the future? One thing in suffering. Secondly, just turn through to, to turn to Luke chapter ten. I haven't read this passage yet. Luke ten, verses thirty-eight to forty-two, briefly. If we've looked at from the Psalms, one thing in suffering, I now turn to one thing in service. One thing in service. I'll just read these verses. Um, most we should know them quite well. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Situation here is that suffering, but, but it's service. Now, now I'm, you come to this passage, I'm sure, sure like me, you have every sympathy with Martha. So imagine this morning, after service, the Lord Jesus Christ was coming to dinner at your house. Imagine the amount, sheer amount of cleaning you would be doing. Imagine the, the, the effort you would go to to prepare the food so that everything would be right. The Lord Jesus Christ was coming to eat at your house. And then add on to that the kind of first century cultural expectations of hospitality. And the cultural expectations of what men should be doing and what women should be doing. And then add on to that that you are living in a house with your sister... And she is doing nothing. It doesn't take very much effort to have a great deal of sympathy with Martha. 
And yet the shock is, Jesus makes it very clear that, that Mary is doing the right thing. Now, I think, I think we need to recognise that the discussion between Martha and Jesus is, the tone of it, it is just, it's just incredibly loving. And it's incredibly patient. Mary's te- Martha's tearing her hair out. Lord, do you not care? Tell her to help me. What, what does the Lord answer? She, she recognises that Martha is anxious. She's worried. She's troubled. But, but in, in the most loving way, what does he say? One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now just think about this. What what has Mary recognised? Mary has recognised that what David longed for in Psalm 27, she has right now in her home. (coughs) That the Lord is dwelling in her house. It's not not in the sense that that she is kind of dwelling in the Lord's house. The Lord has come to to her. She, She can come and she can gaze on his beauty, not obviously in a sexual way, but, but she, can, she can have who the Lord Jesus is, who the Lord God is, filling her vision. That she can inquire of him, listen to him. And so, of course, it is the right thing that she doesn't just run around serving him. No. Then the amazing thing is what Jesus Christ is saying is that, that actually when I come... The most important thing, thing to do is not to have you serve me, but is that I have come to serve you. Jesus says, I've come to give myself to you. And actually, he says that to all of us today. Perhaps this is a, a kind of massive kind of change in our thinking that we need to have. Jesus does not want us first to be running around doing things for him. To truly recognise who Jesus is, we need to delight in him and enjoy him. The right response, the one thing to do, is what David has prayed for, and Mary has the opportunity to do, and that we have the opportunity to do, which is to, to enjoy him, to sit and listen, to learn from him, to be with him. Now, this is not in any way taking away the importance of obedience. This isn't in any way taking away the importance of evangelism, service, using our gifts, using our abilities. But we need to recognize that that, that the warnings against a kind of busyness for Jesus isn't actually a minor theme in the New Testament, So you go through to the end of uh, the last book of the Bible, where you've got the risen Lord Jesus. He speaks, doesn't he, uh, these letters to seven churches. And the first church he addresses is the church in Ephesus, which seems to be so alive and and doing so many things. The kind of church I I guess we'd all like to be part of. And what what does Jesus say? You've neglected your first love. That they're, they're busy, but without a love for the Lord. You see, it is, it is so easy to, to, to lose this one thing. To lose this focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and of loving him and of delighting in him and of being in his presence. Even, and perhaps especially, 
when we are kind of active and busy doing stuff for him. And what happens? What is a symptom of that? Well, a symptom of that is so often that, that when we are doing that and when we are rushing around for Jesus, without that being kind of fueled by a love for, and a listening to Jesus, we end up blaming others for not being as busy as we are. So that's kind of what's happening when Martha goes to Jesus. If Jesus had not said anything, what do you think would have happened the moment Jesus' disciples left Mary and Martha's house? They were, I, I think there probably would have been this huge bust-up between sisters. Martha would have been tempted to just storm off. Why bother doing, doing anything in this house? You, you just don't take me. You just don't, don't uh, pay attention to anything that you do. I, I do everything around here. You don't do anything uh, in this house. And sadly, so often that's a scene that is repeated up and down the land in in churches. Not uncommon, is it, that you you have Christians who on the surface seem to be so committed and so involved in churches, who one day just, well, they just seem to storm off and you never see them again. Why? Well, bitterness has taken root in the heart. The service has been for a desire to be seen rather than out of joy and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it hasn't been fueled by this one thing of love and delight for Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus does not need us. He has come not to be served, but to serve. He calls us to to sit at his feet, to enjoy him. We need to be with him. I wonder whether your church life recognises that. I wonder whether your personal life recognises that. That the the most important thing, and I know it's difficult in stages of life, isn't it? Certainly when you've got kids, it's it's hard. But to to carve out that time to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognise that actually what we're do, doing right now is not just another activity of the church, but is why we exist. We exist to sit, to bring praise and worship, glory to the Lord, to hear him speak to us, to delight in him. So one thing in suffering, one thing in service. Just finally, just as we close, the third one thing from, from Philippians chapter 3. And I guess you could talk about it, say this is kind of one thing as we think about our identity. I haven't quite got a kind of snappy title. Perhaps one thing in our identity. You probably noticed it as I, as I read the passage from Philippians. But, but the Apostle Paul says this. Brothers, I don't consider I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now we might be thinking, well finally there's a bit of activity here. The one thing here is it's pressing on, it's forgetting what lies behind, it's straining on. It's it's a kind of active one thing. But actually I think a closer look at this verse shows that it's really, Paul is really saying the same thing as David. And thankfully he's saying the same thing as the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the distraction here isn't suffering or service. It's, well, in a sense, it's, it's his pride. It's his, what could be his identity. There's a, those famous verses at the start of uh, Philippians chapter 3 where, where Paul speaks about his past. 
He was the, the cleverest. He was the most zealous Pharisee. But he knows that now, if you look at verse 8, nothing compares to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Nothing compares to that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, he's saying that knowing him, what does he want to do? He wants to know him more. Verse 11, that I may know him. Verse, uh, verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. He expresses this zeal, this passion for knowing Christ. Why? Well, because the Lord Jesus Christ knows him. Now, zeal, passion, ambition, they're all a good thing, but they must go in the right direction. And they must go in the right direction into knowing Christ. And Paul knows that might involve suffering. You see that in verses 10 and 11. And so that's the one thing he does in verse, verse 13. He forgets what lies behind in his past and in his identity. He strains forward. Well, he strains forward into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need to remember, as we look at Philippians, Paul is saying all of this again in a place of suffering. He's saying this in prison. We see that in chapter 4. He's saying this in a situation where he's actually not looking as successful as the other preachers of the day. Chapter 1, there were a number, Paul talked about, and there was a number of preachers who, who were out and about, who were preaching, who were getting the crowd while he is in prison. But actually, but actually he's not bothered about that. He's not bothered about the amount of social media likes he's getting. He's not bothered about the book deals he's, he's getting or the blog posts that are not being read by him while he's, while he's there stuck in his prison cell. His focus is not on those things that can be measured. His focus is on Christ. See, the danger of our, our kind of modern world is that so often we, we focus on the wrong metrics. If you're uh, a worker in education, or I guess in healthcare, or in, I guess most big, uh, most things like that, there, there is a, a focus in there by managers on, on league tables, or on measuring things to make sure that, that things are going in the right direction. But you talk to anyone who's actually kind of on the, working on the coalface of, 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 uh, uh, of those places, that they, they will say that they tear their hair out. Because actually, you, you can't measure the success of education. You can't measure the success of healthcare by those things. And so often, the, the, those league tables, well, they just make things worse rather than make things better. But so often, we, we import that kind of worldly standard in, into, or perhaps even into our Christian lives, and certainly into the way we view the church. We measure things by what can be measured. Numbers. And obviously, we want more people to come and hear the gospel. We want more people to be saved. But, actually, the most important things, we, we can't measure. We can't measure a deepening love for Christ. We can't measure what perseverance in the midst of suffering looks like. We can't measure, actually, what, what are the most important things in our life and what are the most important fruit that comes from the proclamation of the gospel. The call is to press on to Christ. So you see those three passages, very briefly, from Psalm 27, from Luke 10, from Philippians 4. Do you see how they all agree? They all come together. It's one thing that we should be focusing on. is knowing the Lord. Everything comes from that. 
if you, if you take that away, you might be, be able to try and carry on with some of those other things. But in the end, they, they will kind of fall apart. We'll crumble in the face of suffering. We will be embittered in our service. We will seek to kind of concentrate on other metrics rather, other than the true fruit of knowing Christ. So, brothers and sisters, I would just plead with you. What is the one thing you are most concerned about in your life today? As a church, what is the one thing that you are pleading with the Lord that the Lord would do in your church? May it be that we know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. Let's pray. Lord God, and Heavenly Father, we do praise you that what David cried out for is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has dwelt with us and that we are united to him, dwelling in a sense in his house all the days of our life and into eternity. Thank you that in Christ we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We thank you that we can come to you in Christ to inquire in your temple. May, may we never want that to be taken away from us. May we press into that. Father, like Paul, may we press on to know Christ more and more. Amen.